0: It's a warm day in the middle of July, and this is Urban Vancouver Podcast number three. I'm your host, Dave Olson, and in my quest for always finding what neat neat things people are doing here in Vancouver, I've come across Justin Tilson, who's not only doing some urban gardening, but he's recently adopted 10,000 cedar trees. Justin, what's up with 10,000 cedar trees?
1: Well, 10,000 cedar trees are being left to to die, and uh, having just seen Al Gore's movie, I uh, couldn't let that happen so I adopted them and now I'm trying to find other people to uh, take them off my hands.
0: Well two things immediately spring to mind one who would abandon 10,000 trees and two how are you going to come up with names for all those
1: trees? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well the company that was abandoning them was a a reforestation nursery in Maple Ridge and they had grown them on spec and no one had purchased them so they were just um, inventory that was going to be composted. It's probably minor in their business.
0: Right, and these uh, trees are about a year old apiece. They're yes, they're just about a year old. I guess they probably all have the same birthday. You've marked it on your calendar, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so,
1: what are you? Where are they all now? Where are they all? I've got uh, a few thousand temporarily in uh, my community garden, and uh, possibly four thousand more in my spare bedroom tonight. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> holy, holy
0: smokes! Well, already I'm exhausted just hearing about it. And while I, probably, I know you're a smart enough guy to know that you're not single-handedly going to change and reverse uh, the trend of global warming, but what I think you're doing here is, is really providing a tangible call to action for people to show, listen, here's how you can start to effectuate change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. After seeing the movie, it was a bit frustrating. Alright, uh, what can I do right now, personally? Um, that was sort of the question I put out there, and then the next day, 10,000 trees showed up. <laughs> so, asking you shall receive. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, And these trees should live six or 700 years. Um, so I think that's a, a step in the right direction, at least.
0: Right, and if, if everyone can adopt enough trees to really uh, make up for their energy usage to replenish the... Uh, the ozone of the, the, the energy that they're using, well, that puts us all down a better path. But unfortunately, since not everyone's going to do that, people like you have to take uh, the bigger share of the work.
1: <laughs> I suppose, yeah, that's how uh, that's just how, how things are in any new movement. Uh, yeah. A few people get it rolling, and eventually uh, it hits the masses.
0: Indeed. Now, how does one care for a, a western red cedar?
1: Western right? red cedar. That's correct.
0: Uh, water and soil. All right, so dig hole, place tree, occasionally water, put on autopilot. Yeah,
1: in the summer um, it's not the optimal time to plant, so it's ideal if you can keep it watered uh, fairly regularly.
0: Right, and and like you said, these will live to be six, seven hundred years if planted somewhere safe and sound, Uh, but people probably have to be wary about where they plant them, because you can't plant them in your front yard if you're running your power lines but that being said if you had a big yard and you wanted to build a hedge or something like that these might be a good candidate?
1: Yeah these trees can be carved into hedges or they can be left to grow old and tall if there's any real concern uh, ask a forester friend or someone who knows our trees that they can tell you um, about where good places are to plant them. Okay. Distance from your home or you know just be smart if you're going to plant it in the city.
0: Right, right. Or else you're just uh, exacerbating a problem where three uh, a few years from now, once it gets high enough, it's... yeah,
1: then you've got to call someone in to deal with it. So.
0: Which can be a rather expensive proposition, I right. imagine.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, uh, for my part, uh, every year for for Festivus, the holiday period when folks go out and buy ornamental dead trees to place in their homes, yeah. I've made it a custom in my family that we go out and buy a living tree, and then the next year I go ahead and plant it. So it seems like what you've done is. Uh, um, they put my effort to shame, <laughs> and uh, and while I'm a, I'm a renter now, so I'm not able to take one of your trees to plant at my house, I was thinking, well, I wonder what would happen if I went and plant planted it in a park. That's probably not uh, very kosher, is it? What do you think?
1: Uh, that would probably depend on the park, and uh, as a general approach, it's probably not very kosher. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it can live in a pot for a few years on your balcony if you're renting an apartment.
0: So. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm, curious. Now, what have you, have you, I imagine you've been able to pass along some of the trees so far.
1: Yeah, over a thousand have gone, and I another thousand will be disappearing tomorrow. An anonymous um, gorilla gardening, urban gorilla gardening group is taking them.
0: Excellent. Yes. Well, that must be exciting for you. Yeah. Now, I noticed um, you you got your, well, your 15 minutes clocked in the other day of fame with a a report in the Globe and Mail about your urban gardening efforts.
1: Yeah, that was uh, somewhat unrelated, something I started a few years ago. I wanted to be able to reduce the amount of um, energy I spent on my food consumption. So I started building a little garden in some uh, unused railroad land next to the building I live in.
0: And it's grown into a bigger garden, and other people doing it?
1: Yeah, I got sort of tired of doing things slowly, so a dump truck showed up last fall. We, we burned a bit of gasoline to get some soil there, um, but now that it's there, we've got uh, um, about 800 square feet of vegetables and flowers and shrubs growing.
0: Well, and the reason for doing this is, one, so you're producing your own food rather than having it chucked in, and also you have control over the stuff that's going into your food, I would suspect, eh?
1: Yeah, there are many reasons. Then those are both valid. Uh, another was just to really learn how how it how it all works and get an appreciation for how much effort it takes to put food on the table. And uh, another one was to just create a more vibrant community in our neighborhood. Just uh, the land was uh, ugly and just getting overrun with blackberries. And and creating a garden now there there are many neighbors and friends working together that uh, that. It just didn't happen before.
0: So you've also found the benefit of that community building in that social environment, eh? Yeah. Getting to know the neighbors? Absolutely. Oh, now, you're not the only one doing urban gardening like this. Is, there, is Would you say there's kind of a bit of a movement around it?
1: Uh, there absolutely is, and I haven't met too many other people in person. I will be meeting some soon as a result of the, the press. Some people have found me that otherwise wouldn't have.
0: Nice. Now one of the things about recording that I enjoy so much about audio is there's a level of uh, anonymity that you don't get in video, but um, for the sake of disclosure, well you roll in a wheelchair, so I'm curious about how that affects um, your ability to do gardening. If you don't mind speaking, yeah, to that. no,
1: not at all. Um, well, since I was building the garden from scratch, I got to take all that into consideration. So most gardens, yeah, are challenging for me to get around. The paths so are really narrow; they're made for walking, and I had the opportunity to um, make the place totally accessible. So that's what I've done.
0: So your efforts are probably uh, also acting as a beacon, so to speak, for other people who may. Uh, feel like, well, I'm not able to do this, and they see you rolling with it and taking care of business, and so that might inspire them as well to get out and get involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been uh, contagious.
0: Contagious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I noticed you eating um, a Japanese-style daikon radish at lunch today. What else are you growing?
1: What else? <laughs> you want the list? Yeah, sure. man. Yeah. Alright, so starting at the, the end... The legal <laughs> plants, anyway. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. just kidding. <laughs> starting at the end, we've got uh, onions, beets, carrots, radishes... Zucchini, butternut squash, potatoes, corn, a few kinds of lettuce, um, tomatoes, beans, kale. <laughs> that's about it. it. Geez, <laughs> that's all, eh? <laughs> there's a few more. <laughs> O.P.s also.
0: How do you tend to pest organically? Uh, I guess there's probably follow- a, many answers to that. but
1: I'm still learning a lot about that. I'm following a book by a real organic gardening pro, and... He's developed a companion planting crop rotation strategy that helps helps fend off pests naturally. So I've had almost zero this year.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. What have you found to be some of the biggest challenges?
1: Mm. You know, this year has gone so well. Last, the last couple of years, I, I, I uh, no, kind of <laughs> the last couple of years, I just sort of jumped in and did it, and I planted. Everything looks so small when you get it. I planted everything too close, so some of the plants started to get sick, and then the, the disease spread really rapidly because everything was over overcrowded, and uh, so I've been able to uh, follow a better plan this year and uh, maintain it, and it's it's working out much better.
0: Now. With going back to the trees, uh, it sounds like you still have about eight thousand or so. What uh, what can people do to take them off your hands? What can people
1: do? Well, the first thing is to go to the website because then you can see where we're at. It's savetheseaters.com. And there's information on uh, where they can come pick them up. I don't need to be there. A lot of people like to uh, connect with me in person, but uh, there's a um, three or four thousand outside at a time and they can just show up with their vehicle and uh, put them in the trunk and uh, take them away.
0: Excellent, and it's even better if they have a cool bike trailer.
1: Even better (laughs) if they don't bring their car. That's part of the point of uh, doing all this, yeah. (laughs) So, um, it may be somewhat necessary. Uh, Now tell
0: me your favorite thing about living in Vancouver.
1: Well, I've I've lived in a few cities and Vancouver is just—I can do everything I want within, uh, you know, a short wheelchair's push away. Um, It's like a small community in our neighborhood. People know each other. The neighbors pitch in to help each other out, and it's—it's friendly and warm and pleasant. And I don't have to push through the snow in my wheelchair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's gonna be a Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, there are many reasons, you know, and many reasons why we're all here the incredible mountains and the sunsets and the summers <laughs> yeah it's awesome um,
0: and if someone wanted to get involved with the urban gardening uh movement so to speak or just start growing some vegetables in there in a piece of land and, or a community land around their place how do you advise them to get started is there people that can is there a network is there a place to uh, clearing house of information or anything
1: uh well there are uh depends on what sort of scale you wish to do it on. Right now the city of Vancouver is heavily supporting this movement. Um, So if you want to do it in a legitimate sort of get your permit type of way, there is one approach. Uh, I took a different approach at the time because that wasn't going to work with the land I wanted to garden on, so I just did it. And other people are just doing it. Um, You are taking on some personal risk there for potential Mm -hmm. negative sort of consequences. That hasn't happened to me. So it's, yeah, I guess it depends on the sort of plot you want to work with and the scale you want to do it on.
0: And the, railroad, the old railway land in general is a bit of a hot topic these days because there's a lot of discussion about creating green corridors and, you know, uh, walk and bike corridors using some of that railway land before the, the rail companies. And these are generally unused rails now, um, and in some cases the railroad companies want to Subdivide, chop it up, build more condos, while the city's going. Hold on, we, we best pause about this and think if there's a better way to use this to before it gets segmented. Because all it takes is one thing getting built there, and the thoroughfare is shot. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of attention the city pays to it over the next couple of years for both gardening and, and uh, alternative transportation needs. Although it's funny to call walking and biking or, or wheelchairing an alternative transportation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that whole that whole movement is evolving, and I've talked to the city about some of the railway lines because I wanted to see what was happening so I wouldn't build something that would just be torn down in a few years and there's just a lot of unknowns right now a lot of talk and no no significant decisions made Um, and because there are a few different lines and uh, some people are are, there's a whole Arbutus movement right now and I haven't been involved with that so I don't know the details
0: curious well perhaps I'll have to wander up to City Hall sometime, sometime and say what all right uh... we're heading out hot summer day here in beautiful vancouver see you later the world